This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. cold opening in German this time, DB, because we have two guests coming on today live from Germany. We'll get to that in a little bit. This is episode Q23. We're coming to you live from the John Tripp Studios in Los Angeles, Dennis, and uh, this is going to be a really fun episode. John Tripp going deep, man. Well, well, look, here's the reason. There, there is some thought process behind this. Marco Sturm Studios would have been too easy, right? Uh, even Christian Erhoff right. would have been too easy. Uh, if you're talking German... Uh, related to the LA Kings, I think John Tripp is the way to go. Now, it's an interesting case study because Tripp uh, had dual citizenship. He was actually born in Canada, from what I understand, in Kingston. Um, but John Tripp did play uh, for Germany at the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. Still one of my favorite two weeks of my entire life. I had such a fabulous time at the Olympics that year. Uh, of course, Dustin Brown and uh, many former Kings, Ziggy Palfi, a lot of former Kings were actually there in that tournament. And John Tripp played for Germany in that tournament, which I didn't even remember. Really? And uh, he played for a, a handful, maybe five or six uh, world championship teams for Germany as well. So played a lot internationally for, for Germany. And uh, here in his time in Los Angeles, uh, he just played uh, 34 games. He scored one goal. It was not his first goal in the National Hockey League. His first NHL goal came with the New York Rangers, who he played nine games with. So uh, only a total of 43 NHL games. But, you know, DB, one of the other interesting things about John Tripp, he is one of those rare players who was drafted Twice. He was drafted first by the Colorado Avalanche in 1995. They were not able to come to an agreement with him, and so he went back into the draft and was reselected by Calgary in 1997. And Kings fans might uh, know this. They might remember more recently... Jared Stoll was actually drafted by two separate players. Stoll was first taken by the Calgary Flames back in 2000. Same situation. They didn't come to a deal. He went back into the draft. Another second-round uh, selection again, this time in 2002, by the Edmonton Oilers. So you always sort of wonder when you see those sorts of things, 
how would a particular player's uh, a career have gone differently if, you know, he went down path one instead of path two? Like, what would have happened with Jared Stoll if he would have signed with the Calgary Flames? He never would have gone into the draft. He never would have been selected by Edmonton. He would have never eventually been traded to Los Angeles. So you just, you sit there and you wonder, what would have happened if Stoley was a Calgary Flame? What would, it, what would his career have ended up like? And what would the Kings? He was an integral part of their championship, so who knows what would happen. Oh, it's, I mean, you, you talk about the de facto captain for that team in the locker room, and it was Jared right. Stoll, and he was him and Matt Green. They they imported that leadership onto that team, and, and I think we talked about this a few months back on Kings of the Podcast. It's something that the Kings this time around are going to need to do. There is a definite gap sure. in leadership going from the Kopitar-Brown era that they have right now all the way down to these young kids, the Mikey Andersons and you know Turcotts and those sorts of guys. There's a gap there, and they're probably going to have to import some leadership and do another deal where they bring in guys like Stoley, like Matt sure. Green, as a bridge. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to sort of see what happens there. Today we're doing something different though, DB, just to talk about the program. We're going to bring in two guests. Now, we were going to really originally do something rather unique, and we were going to have a guest in all three periods. There are five LA Kings prospects that are sent or were sent over to Germany. Uh, you had Akil Thomas, Aiden Dudas, Jacob Bingham. Uh, you also had Turcotte and Madden. Things sort of, uh, they went sideways on us here recently. Madden was injured, and he came back to the States to get reevaluated, and Turcotte came with him, and he's going to be doing some training in Los Angeles here. Um, and so given that we had already had Akil Thomas on recently, we just said we'll do two and we'll uh, devote some time to both Dudas and to Ingham. They're both going to be on the, uh, on the program today. So that'll be, that'll be exciting coming up in the second and the third periods. Uh, DB, on our last program also, we were able to announce that support for Kings of the Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, which is just, honestly, that's that's a great tagline right there. Um, <laughs> We talked about it, DB. You and I, uh, we received some product. We took it for a test drive. We like it. We want the listeners to take it for a test drive. Have them them use it. Go to manscaped.com. You can use our code, KOTP2020. Super easy to remember, KOTP2020. You'll get 20% off your purchase, plus you will get free shipping, which is great. Um, Manscaped really makes things easy for you, DB. uh, They keep things clean down there, and it's not always easy uh, for men to do that, which is why Manscaped redesigned the electric trimmer. Their engineers spent 18 months perfecting and even recently adding some additional improvements to their flagship product. You can pick up the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer has cutting-edge ceramic blades. It has skin-safe technology, uh, a lot of premium features, including a 90-minute battery life. It's waterproof. Uh, they also have the LED light, which you were hyping up on the uh, the last That's podcast. You, oh, yeah. Love it. That's Yeah, I love the LED light. No, and, and your significant other will greatly thank you for patronizing Manscaped. Well, there you go. Uh, you have the 7,000 RPM quiet stroke technology motor. You have the USB uh, uh, charging station. So, again, get cleaned up before next season, everybody. Don't wait. Go on to manscaped.com right now. Get 20% off plus free shipping using the code KOTP2020. I'm not going to read the horoscopes this time, DB, but uh, hopefully everybody grabbed a pencil and they were able to write down the code KOTP2020. Go to manscaped.com and let's get you cleaned up before next season. Now, in the meantime, while you're on Manscaped, because right now every all the listeners, DB, they are, they're multitasking. They're, they're listening to the show yeah, and they're, they're multitasking. Yeah, they're, they're on manscaped.com and they're, they're buying their product. You get the cool T-shirt or, or even the boxers with it. You can get some of the gels and the balms and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, we'll give you some news while you're doing that. 
World Juniors, that's really where we're going to focus uh, here for the next foreseeable future because on the, the hockey calendar, that does appear to be next. Uh, before we get to training camps, probably going to have the World Juniors. Now, from what I've been able to gather, DB, it looks like Team USA is, and, and maybe some of the other teams as well, they're going to be having to possibly make some adjustments to their camp times. Normally, um, early December, the evaluation camps get underway, and then you go into some exhibition games, and then you make the final cuts, typically on Christmas Eve, and then the tournament starts on the 26th. Well, this year, the tournament's going to start on the 25th, one day earlier, but they're not just modifying camp dates by one day. We're starting to hear now that the IIHF may need, in conjunction working with the uh, uh, the Edmonton, you know, council or, or, or you know, Canadian governments, whatever, um, they're going to need people to arrive in town, much like you did, much earlier for quarantine. Yeah. And so the idea now is that they're possibly going to have to move some of these evaluation camps up earlier. We could even potentially see training camp or evaluation camps starting prior to American Thanksgiving, which would be really unique. Uh, in 2020, is that's just the way it is. Everything's unique. But uh, having some of the camps moved up so that they can then go into their quarantine up in the Edmonton area because the World Juniors, they're going to play it in a bubble like they played uh, the Stanley Cup final up there. Yeah, well, there's one occurrence that's happening right now that not only affect, might affect possibly the junior tournament, but maybe in a bigger picture of the NHL season, is that the, the uh, province of Alberta and the Canadian government are trying this pilot program where they're going to be doing rapid testing for international flights and then um, mandating a 48-hour quarantine, not 14 days, which would be a game-changer both for maybe the kids coming across the border um, in, uh, in December but also for the NHL because, again, if we have a 14-day quarantine that's still intact by the time we – want to start next season in the NHL, we're going to have a Canadian division and probably three or four divisions in the U.S. If not, so the hope is that this pilot program will work with rapid testing. And again, going from 14 days to 48 hours, and I walked through that 14-day quarantine, I was fine with it. Um, hopefully some more sensible kind of rule and uh, the rapid testing will help this uh, because, again, that would be a Jane game changer not only for the juniors because yeah you have to allow for that two-week period of time where basically you can do nothing you have to stay in your hotel room to make sure that you're covid free which is you know i don't think uh look i don't want to get political on the on, on kings of the podcast but i just think that that's way too long a period of time i know there's incubation period but you know i was in canada there's very few cases up there so hopefully that uh the kidding nothing can see the sense in doing this type of program throughout Canada, and we could have a normal season next season uh, if it's only 48 hours of, uh, of a uh, quarantine. Yeah, it, they're going to have to make some decisions here pretty quickly one way or the other because uh, I know it seems right. like the World Junior Tournament and even Thanksgiving here in America is so far away, but uh, we're a couple days it's away not. from Halloween, and next thing you know, you flip the calendar, it's November, and, man, Christmas gets here really, really, really quickly. So uh, they're going to have to make some decisions. There are travel arrangements and everything that need to be made um, for all of these kids. Now, speaking of Team USA, DB, you're going to have up to 11 prospects for the LA Kings, which is unheard of, but up to to 11 prospects right. playing potentially in the world juniors and for team USA you could be looking at three players you could be looking at Brock Faber who they traded up to draft in the second round this year you could be looking at Kaliev and you could be looking at Turcott now from what I understand uh, not only is Turcott uh, training in Los Angeles right now but Kaliev is in Los Angeles training as well and uh, Gabe Velarde is also training in town so you have a lot of these sort of volunteer workouts that are right. going on right now development camp still needs to be scheduled 
and again, probably sure. trying to schedule that around the World Juniors uh, is in and of itself a, a challenge. Um, you know, one thing that uh, is also a challenge, DB, seems to be the Dodgers getting out of their own way. Um, you know, we talked a little <laughs> bit about the World Series, but any any thoughts on uh, that game the other night, though, where the wheels fell off with, with two outs, two strikes, they were one pitch away from going up three games to one in the series? Uh, there's nothing like live sports, John. That, that's all I got to say. That was just, we'll never see an ending like that again. Right. So good luck. And I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway wasn't that game. It was last night, which was Sunday night when uh, Roberts took Kershaw out the amount of booze from the Dodger fans in, in the stadium mm-hmm. when Roberts went out and went back to the dugout. And you could see, it was just, you saw uh, Justin Turner, you know, saying don't take them out so it's just you know it's analytics john it's stuff like that but yeah that game game four was just look it's, it had gone a different way you could have been celebrating if you're a dodger fan last night i mean clay came in he gutted it out but it's it's lost sports john it's like you know you know take it back to the nhl it's why fans need to be in the stands as, as we talked about in the last podcast i was in arlington for game seven there's nothing like being there we've got to take precautions we got to be safe, but this sport cannot survive financially, and it's just it, it's just so different without fans in the stands. Hockey, and you know that as well. It's just, um, but it's exciting. Hopefully, the Dodgers can bring it home in Game Six. Although the, the thing that worries me is that it, I hear the word bullpen game, and I see how the bullpen's been managed for most of the series, and it starts to I start to think, Dennis, okay, Dennis, you know, Dennis, uh, how the bullpen's got to go seven. How the bullpen has been managed most of the series? How about how the bullpen has been managed for the last five years? Let's just <laughs> come on. Let's give me a break. Uh, yes, analytics, John. Let's go. I, I, I don't want to hear about analytics. Uh, no, I, at, at some point, you know, you, you have to, you have to go with your head. You have to go with your heart. You have to go with your yes. eyes. You have to know the situation. You have to know your team. You know the vibe of the game, the right. vibe the of the feel, moment, right? exactly. the feel, the feel. Yep. You have to go with the feel and say, you know what. This guy needs to stay in the game. This guy needs to not come into the game. Um, you know, I it's uh, yeah. It, it was a very you know what though, game four, or or game yeah game four that would have been um, that was one of the most incredible baseball games I've ever seen. It took me back. I remember the Toronto Blue Jays had some great great playoff series World Series games uh, many many moons ago, and those still stand out as just some of the most incredible games. And that game, Game Four, was an absolutely incredible game. Terrible ending, weird ending, bizarre ending, but an incredible game. I do want to say one thing though about that play that happened at the end. If you go back and watch it, first of all, why would you? Why would you put yourself through that? I mean, it's like being in an abusive relationship. It's terrible. Why would you do that to yourself? But I will say this, DB. I give Max Muncy a pass, and here's why. If you go back and watch the replay, Max has to sort of double clutch because when he's in the middle of getting ready to throw home, that's when the player rounding third falls down, and so he kind of he's he's caught in the moment of sort of having to double clutch a little bit. So I'll give him a pass. There's no reason for what happened in the outfield. There's also no reason for what happened prior. But uh, let's just move on, okay? The Dodgers, the Dodgers. I'll I'll just say one thing now. I'm going to let one of your guys off the hook as well. Jansen, people were saying he shouldn't have backed up. Uh, He should have been backing up uh, Smith. But if you watch the replay, the ball hits the umpire's leg and goes to the left. It wouldn't matter if he backed backed him up or not. He never would have got to the ball. So I'll give your boy uh, 74 pass. But I know you were happy last night when Tronny came in the game as opposed to uh, Kenley Jansen, who him and Dwight King, that's I've always tweeted that picture, your two favorite 74s. That's 
always been a, a great uh, tweet of mine. Well, never trust a 74. This that's that's, the last that's what I'll say. We'll just leave it at that, all right? Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting Game 6 and potentially an interesting Game 7. We'll have to wait and see how this whole thing plays out. Um, enough of the baseball, though. On the other side of the break here, DB, yeah. we have Aiden Dudas and Jacob Ingham, uh, a young forward in the LA Kings pipeline and a goaltender, so you're going to get a different perspective um, of their time over there in Germany, what they've been experiencing, and uh, maybe a couple of other insights from them as well, both playing Canadian junior hockey, and they'll be turning pro and, and playing uh, pro hockey this year. So we look forward to having them on after the break. We'll be back with Aiden Dudas. All the way from Germany, welcome in Aiden Dudas. What's happening, Aiden? Uh, not too much. Um, you know, enjoying life here in Germany. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you've been over there now for a couple of weeks. We'll get into some some playing time and some other stuff, but just uh, general thoughts on being over there at this point in time. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, cool experience for sure. And, um, you know, if COVID didn't happen, I wouldn't uh, this experience. So, um, you know, it's a little bonus for me, I guess, but... Um, you know, it's obviously a different world over here and, um, you know, different playing style too, playing hockey, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been really fun so far. And, you know, the guys I'm living with are, are great too. So it's good all around. Now, longtime readers of Mayor's Manor know that Akil Thomas has been pumping your tires really from day one. From the second you were drafted by the Kings, he was texting me and, and wanted to talk all about, you know, you and what you bring. And here's just a quick quote. He said he's unbelievable. He's really fast, pretty strong for a smaller guy. You can't really knock him off of his feet too easily. He scores really nice goals, and he's one of those players you don't want to play against. I love the fact that he's an underdog, and he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. Now, that was seconds after you being drafted. And uh, I think it's probably pretty much played out the way that Akil promised everybody so far, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's, he always, he always pumps my tires to everyone. He, I think he's, he might have a crush on me or something, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he's obviously a great player too. So, um, you know, good players kind of, you know, recognize other good players. And, you know, obviously Akil's a really great player. Yeah. Like, things from his game as well to, to put into my game. Now, he dropped the size reference in there, and I always remember one of the first times I spoke with you, um, I love the way that you addressed the size thing because it, it's one of those things that guys that aren't six feet tall sometimes try to avoid, and they try to you know, sort of circumvent the question, but you were right up uh, out in front of the, of the point of your size, and you were like, hey, I can't control my size, so it doesn't bother me when people want to talk about it. It's a reality. It's there. I've been hearing it my whole life, uh, but it's not what defines me, and I, I, you know, I, I focus on the other things that I can control, and I'm just curious. Uh, recently, we had Blake Lazat on the program, and I'm just curious, when the Kings signed him and when you've now watched him play at the NHL level, do you look at a player like that and say, hey, that's me, I, 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 and I can relate to that guy? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Blake's a great example and, um, you know, obviously other, uh, smaller, smaller guys, in the NHL, I, I look up to as well. And it was really cool to see Blake kind of, um, you know, jump into, you know, a full-time role in the NHL right out of college. And, um, you know, like just goes to show you that if you have the work, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're six foot three or, or five foot eight. So, 
um, yeah, I've been getting, been getting the, the short comments all my life, but, um, for me, like you said, it's, you know, what I can control and, you know, I'm this height now, I'm not going to grow anymore. So, um, you know, I do what I can out there and, um, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm five foot eight or six, three. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about, uh, things that have taken place, you know, sort of since you've joined the Kings, you were selected in the fourth round back in 2018. The draft obviously happened recently. Uh, when, when the draft is happening, does it, I'm assuming it sort of stirs up memories of the day that you were selected by the Kings and, and what those, uh, you know, feelings were like at that point in time. Um, yeah, obviously when I was, you know, drafted to LA, it was, uh, probably the coolest day of my life. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, just sitting, sitting there with my family and, uh, you know, waiting, waiting for my name to get called. And, uh, you know, when it finally get, get, got called, it was, it was, uh, you know, something I'll never forget. And then this year watching the draft online here in Jura, uh, you know, root for guys obviously that we know, and, um, it was pretty late here. We had, we had a pretty late night watching the first round. Um, and then the next day we watched, uh, you know, the second to seventh round pretty much fully. So it was cool to see, you know, guys that we know get picked and, um, you know, it's a, it's a cool experience. So you guys weren't all tucked in bed every night by nine o'clock, you know, uh, and, and, and getting, getting good sleep. You, you stayed up late. <laughs> well, one of the, one of the players that, uh, actually plays on Berlin was drafted first round. So we, the team had the next day, he was having a little, uh, party there, uh, to, for his draft party. So we got a uh, little go ahead to stay up a little bit later than usual. <laughs> yes, of course. Lucas Reichel, of course, is who you're making reference to. And he had a little bit of playing time there with Turcotte and some of the uh, exhibition games. We can talk about that. Now, speaking of your time over there, though, word on the street is that you don't like red wine. However, you've been uh, you've been seen recently with a, a picture uh, with some red wine. What's the story here? Did, did you flip now? You're a red wine guy over there in Germany or what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know where all these people speak out. Um, honestly though, I, I will give a real scoop. I don't really like red wine, but you know, it adds a great, uh, it adds a great, uh, feeling to the picture, you know, and it just makes it a little bit better. So all right, that's, that's the story. Okay. There's the story. People, they've been waiting for it. You know, people didn't, they didn't want to know how many goals you had. They didn't want to know how many assists you had. They didn't even care about the fact that I kept telling everybody that you played. I think your official on ice time was 47 minutes. I'm waiting for the, uh, for the league to send over the official (laughs) score sheet, but it had to be 47 minutes in that first game. You were on the ice nonstop every period. What was the deal? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, started on the on the first line there and I guess uh you know we we kind of just were playing really well and the coach liked us and there wasn't too many penalties that game too so it was a lot of five on five and a little bit of power play time so um you know the coach kind of rolls with what line he thinks is is going and our line was playing really well so he kept just throwing us out the thing is though uh for the I mean now obviously we were watching it on a stream um, you know, so we're, we're, we're only getting the perspective of where the camera guy is going, but you were all over the ice. I mean, you weren't just on the ice, wherever the puck was, wherever the play was, wherever the action was, you were right there. You were involved in the mix. I mean, that was like zero to 60. You hadn't played a game in what, six months or, or at least six months. And there you are, you're right in the middle of the action. Yeah. I think, I think for me, uh, when I play my best hockey is, you know, when I'm right in the action and, uh, you know, when I'm hunting down pucks and, you know, being relentless and, uh, you know, I think I played my strength in that game and it helped me back out on the ice and kind of be noticeable that game. Cause you know, if I'm not hunting down pucks and being relentless and, you know, being a pest out there, then, um, you know, my game's kind of quiet. So I think, you know, I've just played hey, my strength. Can strengths. you talk about the process to get over to Germany and 
like how often do you get tested and what's going on with COVID? Did you have to test before you went over? What happens when you got over there? Um, where are you staying with respect to, uh, is it a hotel? Is it people's houses? Just to talk about your process to get to prepared to start playing in Germany. Yeah, so before we before we all came to Germany, um, it was we kind of knew, uh, I would say about a month before that Germany was an option for us. And then um, it kind of fell off the rails a little bit. And we I didn't hear from my agent for about three weeks. Um, and then I just kind of thought that it wasn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden he texted me and said, hey, uh, Germany's a go. You're leaving in three days. So it was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a whirlwind that way. And then uh, we we got to the airport and, you know, we flew to Germany and we had to get uh, consent wow. for a reason for us to come over. And then um, when we got there, we had to test negative twice. And then once we tested negative twice, we could start practicing and playing with the team. And for the first week, we were up in a hotel uh, right by the rink, which was a really nice place. And then uh, after the first week, they set us up with a with an apartment and a car. So um, it's been it's been pretty easy. Now, a car. Who's doing the driving? <laughs> well, it was uh, uh, it was the oldest and. I guess he thought he was the most mature, so uh, he kind of took over the driving. Uh, almost got in a couple of car accidents there, but uh, now that now that he's gone, we uh, we kind of just split up the driving. Whoever's feeling it that day, whoever isn't feeling it, uh, doesn't want to drive, then we kind of just switch it up now. All right, so you've talked a little bit earlier about the type of game that you think that you need to play, and for people that aren't familiar with you or maybe aren't as familiar as they need to be here in Los Angeles, um, you, you, some accolades over the past year or so, uh, best puck handler in the OHL coaches poll, and the OHL coaches poll is really a big deal to Canadian players. Um, just, you know, your thoughts on, on being, you know, getting that honor in terms of best puck handler, and were you maybe angling for one of the other categories? Um, yeah, I think my two years ago and then, uh, or three years ago, actually. And then two years ago, um, I won the, the hardest worker award in the OHL, the coaches poll. And, um, you know, I think that was a big, uh, uh, a big, uh, accolade to me because of how hard I do work. And, and then this year I won, uh, best puck handler, but for the hardest worker again, but you know, with my hand breaking and all that stuff, it, my, my game kind of changed a little bit, I guess, for uh, parts of the season. So it was, it was a little bit different, but um, obviously being rewarded with um, the best puck, land, puck handler was, uh, was a pretty cool accolade as well. Well, let's talk about that injury then for just a moment, because I think that your world junior story is a pretty fascinating one. Obviously, the way that Canada won gold and with the keel scoring the golden goal and everything, that, that stole the headlines after the tournament. But going into the tournament, the, the real story was Aiden Dudas. Everybody sort of had kind of penciled out how the lineup was going to work out. And here you were, you're injured the weekend before evaluation camp. There was a lot of concern that you might not even be healed up enough in time to make the team. And boy, that would have been a bummer. I mean, at the absolute last minute to, uh, to, to get injured, but really the hunters were more or less holding a spot for you from evaluation camp time in the summer. They knew they wanted you on that team. What were your thoughts, you know, sort of going into that evaluation camp and, and knowing the pressure and knowing that that was your opportunity to be part of something that really is a dream of all kids who grew up playing hockey in Canada. I broke my hand. It was uh, it was pretty upsetting to me, obviously being so close to the tournament. And when I got the X-ray, knowing that it that it was broken, the doctor told me it's uh, you know standard four to six weeks in a cast. And you know I I fought saying you know I can't I can't wear a cast right now. Like World Juniors is coming up. Um, anyway, I had I had some talks with Mark Hunter on the phone before the before the camp and. 
he said, if it's okay, like just still come to the camp and, and we'll talk there. So, you know, I was pretty nervous, couldn't skate. I couldn't really do anything. And um, when I got there, I had a meeting with, uh, with Mark and a couple of the other management people. And they said, look, we, we've seen you play a lot and we know the type of player you are and we, and we want you on the team. Um, it just comes down to, you know, how quick your hand heals. Um, so I, I pretty much didn't even wear a cast. Um, it kind of, I guess it healed itself, but um, it never really fully healed, I guess, for the tournament because it was so quick. So it was challenging at some points, but, um, you know, it was really me on the team so badly that they, you know, saved a spot for me. And the, I remember the, the 22nd game or the 21st game, I think it was against Switzerland was kind of my exhibition game. They brought an extra person over to Czech Republic to, to, if I wasn't able to play, then, um, you know, they would take my spot and uh, I ended up playing pretty well that game and, and, kind of solidified my spot. Yeah, it's an, it really is an unbelievable story. Uh, and, and the fact that you were willing to go and not play, you know, like you said, not not have a cast and just for the Hunters to hold that spot for you, I just think that it, it truly speaks to the type of player that you are and how important they felt that you were. I mean, Team Canada is not like, with all due respect, it's not, it's not like making some of the other teams, you know, at the lower tiers that end up making it into the World Junior Tournament. Team Canada, they have the pick of the litter of who they want. And for them to want to hold a spot for you is, is just – it's just really a – it's an amazing uh, – well, it's a testament to you and the type of player that you are and what you brought to that team and what they felt they needed in order to uh, win a gold medal. And I guess they were right because in the end, that's exactly how it ended up working out. Um, just to touch on your junior career a little bit more, I mean, we could spend hours talking about it. We won't. Uh, but you did wear the C in Owen Sound. Um, a lot of the guys that you're over there with now, they've also, you know, uh, worn the C for their respective teams. Um, I know that you take a lot of pride in in – and what you uh, did and what you were able to accomplish in Owen Sound. And uh, I'm just wondering if you could, could, think, could think back to what it was like when you found out you were going to be getting the captaincy and uh, what that meant to you. Yeah, I, it was a pretty cool feeling. Um, you know, I looked up to, you know, guys that wore the, the C before me. Uh, you know, Nick Suzuki uh, playing for Montreal now was uh, wearing the C uh, when I was in my third year. And uh, obviously he's a really, really good player and a really good leader. And uh, I learned a lot from him and, um, do steps wearing a C and on sound was you know pretty big shoes to fill and um, you know he he talked to me a little bit and I reached reached out to him just to you know ask questions kind of like what it's like and um, it, it was a pretty cool experience and it was it's more eye opening to you know captain a team because a lot of the a lot of the faults and negative stuff kind of falls onto you and you have to you know kind of put your game aside to you know worry about the team's game as well so it's so it's pretty eye-opening, but it was uh, it was an experience that I wanted, and um, you know I thought I thrived with. Well, speaking of uh, Owen Sound, you have a connection also to uh, former coach inside the Kings organization and Mike Stuthers. Uh, a couple of reasons: number one, of course, he uh, was the coach there in Owen Sound for quite some time and had some success there. But you also spent some time with Stutz playing for the Ontario Reign at the end of the 2018-19 season. You came to Southern California, spent a little bit of time there, um, and there seemed to be an instant bromance that developed. You love Mike Stuthers, and Stutz loves you. Is that a fair a fair uh, way to categorize the relationship? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think he's a, he's a really good coach and a really good, good man as well. And, um, you know, when I first got there is kind of, you know, just clicked like that, like, you know, he's a, he's a pretty chirpy guy and, um, you know, I didn't back down to him and I think he loved that. And we kind of, that. and, um, you know, when he, when I heard the news that he wasn't coming back, um, I, I sent him a message and, you know, we had a couple good laughs. There was a couple funny texts sent. So, 
um, you know, he's a really good guy. Yeah. One of my favorite things to note about Stutz is that to me, at least, and I'm curious if your perspective is the same. He's two different people. The way that he is in person and the way he is over text are two entirely different things. I laugh every time he uses an emoji, for example, and he uses a lot of emojis. Just if you if you know him in person, you wouldn't think that he's going to be an emoji guy. <laughs> right. He's he's a big, scary guy. And then all of a sudden over, you know, over the keyboard, he's uh, he's an emoji guy. He's kind of a <laughs> It's a, it's a whole different world over the computer, so it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> now, you also played for him at the uh, the tournament, the rookie tournament in Vegas, which is, um, again, one of the 10,000 uh, disappointments that COVID has brought us in 2020, the disappointment that the rookie tournament uh, did not take place over in Arizona, but uh, last year, of course, in Irvine, and the year before, the first year of the, the NHL rookie tournament um, happened there in Vegas. Uh, now, I would imagine uh, being on the younger side at that point in time, you didn't get to enjoy all of the, the fun stuff of las vegas but any memories about that rookie tournament there uh, that the golden knights hosted yeah it was uh it was a really cool experience and um it was yeah that, i think that was my first my first camp there um and it was uh it was a pretty cool experience and obviously playing for stutz is uh you know really cool as well and um like you said i was too young to do anything so it was kind of probably good for me and good for the other young guys too to just you know focus on hockey and focus on uh, you know, what we were there for, and that was to, you know, get better and try to, you know, open some eyes of the uh, LA Kings uh, management. Now, one other little memory from that, it would be the suits that Boko Imama was wearing at that tournament. Um, I would imagine you sort of had to up your fashion game at that particular point in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just an 18 year old kid. And, uh, you know, seeing some of these 21, 22 year old guys, you know, looking absolutely dapper and I'm coming in look wearing you know bad suits and it's just it was kind of eye-opening the the style uh was uh, was pretty good so I had to you know up my style game and you know I think I've gotten a little better over the years well, I think so, because Tyler Madden is now claiming that you were his official stylist. Of course, Madden has returned to Los Angeles now, but during his time over there in Germany, he said that you he dubbed you his official stylist. So I would imagine between the rookie tournament in Vegas and now, you've done a lot of work to uh, to, to up your style game, as you said. <laughs> no, honestly, Tyler Madden, nothing against him. He's a great guy and one of my good buddies now, but uh, his style was just wasn't great, so I had to give him a couple pointers. <laughs> Now, how does that happen? You you guys are good buddies now. He He's an American. You're a Canadian. I mean, you guys are still fresh off of, you know, chirping each other about the world juniors and everything. Can't you just tell him to go hang out with Turcotte and, and you stick with uh, you stick with the keel for now? <laughs> Honestly, uh, when, when you're living together, if you're American, Russian or Canadian or whatever, it's kind of just like, you know what, Tyler, you got to do the dishes tonight and you don't even think about that he's American. <laughs> hey, growing up, you know, in your teens, like, were you patterning your game after anybody that you watched in the NHL? Uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed watching Brad Marchand and I've really enjoyed, um, you know, seeing him, uh, you know, get better every single year. And when I was younger, he, what he wasn't, uh, completely the player he is today. And it's been mm -hmm. really cool to see him, you know, elevate his game. Um, I also really enjoy watching Braden point. Um, you know, over the last few years, he's really solidified himself as one of the you know, top centers in the league, and those two guys are aren't aren't bigger, aren't that much bigger than me, if any bigger. Right. So, um, it's it's really cool. And then you know, you mentioned hearing about your size, and you're probably sick of it at this point. But and like, at what point did you know, hey, I could be drafted in the NHL, I could make a go of it? At what point in your career have you, did it, the, the light bulb go on and say, hey, I, I can do this and I can be a success? 
after my first year or after my uh, minor midget year uh, playing mm-hmm. for North Central Predators, um, I was drafted uh, to Owen Sound in the first round. And I think just knowing that I was a first rounder to the OHL and seeing how many first rounders, um, mm-hmm. you know, do get drafted to the NHL, I kind of put it into my brain that, you know, I can make a career out of this and, you know, that's exactly what I want to do. And I kind of put you know, the best foot forward to making myself, uh, you know, an NHL draft prospect and um, it, uh, it all worked out. Now, before we let you run today, and of course, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it all the way from Germany. That's awesome. Uh, just to, to loop back to your time in Owen Sound, uh, Sean Dersey was there. Marcus Phillips was as well. Those are two players that, of course, are in the LA Kings pipeline as prospects. We hear a lot in Los Angeles about Mikey Anderson. I call him the ABCs. We talk about Anderson. We talk about Bjornfoot. We talk about Clegg. But don't forget the D also in the ABCD, Sean Dersey. Just tell us a little bit about the time with Dersey uh, and, and, you know, what type of player he is, uh, both on and off the ice. Yeah, he is, um, you know, has made himself to be um you know obviously being a 12th round pick in the ohl um you know a lot of people probably wrote him off and uh you know that just goes to show how good of a work ethic he has and how um you know he has made himself to be a very very good player and um you know probably one of the best power play guys that uh played in the ohl in his last year um he ran ran a power play uh like no other and um, you know, I, I think he had a pretty good year in the, in his first year pro. And, uh, I saw he was getting power play time and, and Dursey loves power play time. So, uh, um, and into a really good player. All right. So we had a little bit of touch of style, a little bit of touch of doing the dishes. Who's doing the driving. Uh, it's been, been a nice little chat here about what's going on over in Germany. Everybody pay attention to Aiden Dudas. Akil Thomas has been pumping his tires from day one. He's ranked in the mayor's manor prospect rankings. He's causing all kinds of havoc over in Germany on the ice. And, uh, Aiden, we look forward to seeing you in camp here in Los Angeles soon. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us here on Kings of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much guys. Nice talking to you. Aiden Dudas. There you go. We'll be back after the break and talk more. back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, third period of Kings of the Podcast. And yes, we are going a different direction here. Normally, the guests are uh, contained with inside the second period. But uh, today, all the way from Germany, our second guest of the program, goaltender Jacob Bingham. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, uh, let's just get right into it. I mean, you have two Canadians who played in the World Juniors that are over there with you. You have two Americans that are over there. No goaltenders, though, to hang out with in Germany. What's it been like? Are you like the odd man out, or have you wormed your way into one of the little cliques? Uh, yeah. No, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm the complete odd man out. Definitely a little bit different. But, uh, you know, some of these guys, uh, I was kind of bugging Akio the other day saying, you know what, I think you were meant to be a goalie. And uh, just kind of get, <laughs> getting in his ear a little bit and, and that, but no, it's been a lot of fun uh, being with all the guys, and obviously not really knowing Turcotte as much as and Madden as much as uh, Akil and dudes. So it was uh, it was cool to get to meet those guys and, and kind of grow our bond closer together, and all get the chance to live together. 
Well, knowing Akil the way that I do, I'm sure that if you suggested that he played goal, he probably was up for the challenge. The guy was a defenseman who played 28 minutes earlier this year, and he has no problem. He's already angling with the coaching staff to get a shift or two or a game even at, uh, at, at defense here in Los Angeles. So I'm sure he was probably up to strap the pads on. Yeah, for sure. We have uh, these Sensorina goggles, and uh, we were kind of messing around with them uh, the other day, and, and uh, I was using them, and he was like, hey, Iggs, like, can I try those on? And He's actually pretty good, so I think uh, give him a little bit of work, and then uh, I think he might be good to go. Fantastic. Uh, I would nothing, nothing would surprise me when it comes to Akil Thomas. I've dubbed him the most fascinating prospect in the LA Kings organization. Every time I talk to him, I just I learn something new, and it's always completely out of left field. It's nothing that you would expect. He's just a, a very interesting person. And uh, what's been the best part about Germany so far? Maybe let's let's start off the ice. Yeah, the best part of Germany, I think. Uh, I think it's just the experience and the culture. Uh, it's a lot different than back home in, in North America. And, and basically everything's different, even when we're driving on the road and, and the rules driving and that. But I think I really enjoyed uh, so far um, just like all the cool like architecture and that and everything. Uh, the buildings are a lot different and, you know, it's a lot more close quarters. And there's uh, there's a bit of graffiti here in Berlin, but a lot of it's like uh, – I wouldn't even say graffiti. It's a lot of art and artwork around there. So a lot of that, I'm not really used to from back home. So I think that's cool. And the lifestyles, uh, it's really cool as well. It's a little bit more relaxed and everybody just seems like they're really enjoying uh, what's going on around them and, and kind of taking it all in instead of such a uh, fast paced lifestyle as we kind of live back home. So I think uh, those are the big takeaways that I've gotten so far from being here. Now, uh, the last time I checked, you're about 6'4", just shy of 200 pounds. You know, you eat a couple schnitzels every day. You're going to cross the two bills line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think uh, I've crossed the two bills uh, just like having my summer training that. So I'm kind of kicking around 202 and uh, I think just about 6'5 now. So it, it's been fun. Uh, the food, the food's been really good. But, uh, you know, I think we got to credit ourselves a little bit. We've been making some really good uh good uh meals at home and everybody's kind of been pitching in and i know dudes is uh he's pretty pretty good chef when it comes to cooking chicken so uh he's uh keeping us fed yeah i don't want to hear that you guys are, are in the apartment cooking every night <laughs> yeah that is for sure we do eat out a lot but uh, i thought i should probably say something like we cook a little bit for ourselves just so <laughs> okay. everybody can can kind of hope and think that we do <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I didn't mean to didn't mean to spoil the secret there. Then And six, five. What's the deal? We had uh, Dudas on earlier. He said he's not growing anymore. You know, maybe, maybe you could just pass it on to him and give him an inch or two. Yeah, he was actually asking me that. He was like, hey, uh, he was asking. He was like, do you think uh, if we we're really close, like you think uh, we could uh, give me a couple inches and take a couple from you? And I was like, dude, <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like my height at six, five. So, you know, you got to kind of bribe me with a little bit more than uh, just being buddy, buddy. Not. Well, he told us he has a great sense of style. So now let's let you come on and be the referee. So according to what he said, Madden has a terrible sense of style. He thinks that he has a pretty good sense of style. Where do you weigh? And we all know that Akil Thomas, I mean, the kid has swag. So where do you weigh in on all this? Uh, Yeah, I can agree. Mad's style was not great to start, but uh, he's putting a lot of work and really developing his style game right now. Uh, Me and dudes have been helping him out with uh, buying jeans and, Kind of stuff that's a little bit more stylish but uh dudes he's got good style he's uh he's a little dressy and uh, i think me and dudes got pretty similar style a little bit of a foot and height difference but uh you know sometimes when i'm shopping in the men's he's shopping in the kids but we we tend to pull out a lot of the same stuff 
Okay, now wait a minute. I, so you guys are trying to help them buy jeans. Are you guys hitting up the local, you know, German department stores? Are you guys online? Yeah, it is. It is an excursion trying to find jeans for all of us because uh, we are all different heights and weights and sizes and and how our legs are built and that. So for me, I finally found a pair of jeans that fit and aren't too short and aren't too tight because uh, everything is uh, super skinny here. And then uh, duty, he has to go up about uh, four pairs uh, in size for uh, his legs because he has trunks on them. And then, uh, and then Mads, he's been, uh, he's been good. He, he, he's bought in four pairs of jeans since he's been here. So uh, he, he's loving it. And then uh, Akil, obviously he's got, he's got his style and he's got his Zale stuff. So he's always, uh, he's always looking to see what he can use and, and take away and bring over to Zale as well. Yeah. I imagine that when Akil is out shopping for jeans, he just ends up like buying raw denim. And then when you guys all go to sleep, he's off in some corner of the room designing something. You guys wake up the next morning and he's like, Hey, look at these. And he has a whole brand new pair of pants that he put together while you guys were sleeping. That's what I think happens. Yeah. Basically that is exactly what happens. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about on the ice then. Um, you were able to get some playing time in that first game. It was about a 50, 50 split there. Just, uh, you know, what's it like, uh, you're, you're over there playing in, you know, a German league game for the first time and you skate onto the ice and you've been watching from the bench. So you kind of have a sense of it. Is that better for you? Maybe that's the question. Is it better coming in, in the middle of the game, having watched a little bit of the action, or would you rather just come in straight out from the start, you know, come in completely cold like that? Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's like kind of two ways to look at it. Uh, I think every goalie would want to start that game and, uh, and kind of get the opportunity to come out fresh and hot off warm up and, and kind of get to go through your routine. But then uh, after when I figured out I wasn't starting, I just kind of uh, got a really good chance to kind of soak it in and, and just kind of look for a little bit of tendencies and, and what the play was going to be like and, and what I could expect. And, and uh, that's like really what I used when I was on the bench. And I thought it, it kind of helped me too in a way, uh, give me a little bit of an, an advantage to kind of scout a couple of players or, or scout their power play and kind of see what they're trying to do here uh, because everything's different than video. So it, it was really cool to watch from the bench. And then uh, it was really cool to go on the ice. You know, it was my first uh, professional game ever. And uh, it was really awesome just to kind of be out there and, and kind of feeling that uh, that feeling almost like that you belong out there and, and that you, you got confidence out there. So I, I thought it was a really cool experience. Now, while Kings fans don't know you very well yet because you haven't played, you know, in the organization, you obviously spent a lot of time in the OHL. We can talk about that later. But from a goaltending uh, coaching perspective, you know, here in Los Angeles, we know Dusty, we know Kim, we know Bill Ranford really well. But the new guy is not very well known here in Los Angeles, Matt Millar. Just uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship. With, what are your impressions of Matt and, and how, where does your relationship stand at this point? Yeah, for sure. Matt, he's, uh, he's a beauty. Like, He's uh, he's been awesome with us and, you know, he's really uh, builds relationships really good. And I think that's uh, one of his biggest strengths, uh, aside from being a really good goalie coach, is he really makes us all feel really welcomed and and uh, reaches out to us a lot and FaceTimes us and, and kind of sends us video. And then we get to go through it together. And, you know, it's not always just hockey, hockey, hockey with them. He likes to kind of kick back and just ask us how we're doing, um, likes to ask about our golf game and stuff like that. So he's uh, he's been a great guy to work with and especially uh, just keep in contact with him, especially during the season. He came out to Kitchener, I think twice with me and it was just really nice to kind of have him there and, and then know that, uh, know that people are always watching and it's just a really good connection. 
Yeah, he's a really low-key guy. Like, he's, he just, he's not as intense as maybe some other guys would be. Um, he's a pretty low-key guy, but very easy to talk with and uh, very intelligent as well. I think if you spend the time to really get to know him, he offers some, some pretty key insights. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really smart, and he knows the position, uh, like the back of his hand and everything. Like, even when we go through video, uh, I ask him a couple questions, and he's really good at explaining it and kind of backing it up with a video from – pro games and, and showing me why he thinks uh, maybe uh, doing something else in, in the position might be better than what I was doing. So uh, it's really, it's really nice when you work with someone that you trust and you kind of build that relationship that when he tells you something that, you know, it's going to work because uh, he just shows you so much proof that it'll work. So he's really knowledgeable and yeah, he's really low key and kind of not really all over you all the time, but uh, he's a guy that you really want to work hard for as well. Now, you mentioned uh, FaceTime. I was thinking maybe he was just texting you and stuff, but uh, if you've done FaceTime, I have to know, what's that beard looking like during quarantine? Is he looking like Joe Thornton at this point? <laughs> no, he, he cleans it up. I think he's got a manscaper or something, but he uh, he takes care of that beard. You know, it, it's really nice, and, you know, he keeps the head pretty shiny too sometimes. I always bug him about that, but he uh, he's looking good. The beard suits him well. Jake, I want to talk to you about your uh, off-the-ice Work you know in 1920 you won the uh, the Sharf humanitarian award given to the Rangers player who contributes most to the community. You've worked with Hockey Gives Blood. You started Jake Saves, which is a you know donation made for every save that you make. Uh, can you talk about the genesis? I know that your your grandparents were involved in a, a tough uh, auto accident, but can you just talk about your progression through uh, your charitable work here over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. So it all um, kind of got kickstarted, uh, like what you said about my grandparents. They got in a really bad uh, car accident uh, almost two summers ago now. And, and my granny, she needed a lot of blood uh, donations to live and, and pull through. So she was really touch and go for a while. And, you know, it was, uh, it was really tough a uh, couple of weeks and months for our family. And then uh, kind of halfway through the year, uh, around January, February, we kind of thought and came together and, and wanted to do something to kind of show our gratitude and and what and almost raise awareness for blood donation because until it directly affects you it's really it's sure. something that you don't think a whole bunch about and I really didn't know a lot about blood donation and and my parents didn't know a ton either my dad and mom they've donated blood I think twice before that so it wasn't really something that was too common or uh too talked about over here and uh we decided to do um a campaign that last year in Mississauga and uh, donating like four dollars for every save and and then I got to meet uh, Stu Middleton uh, with Hockey Gives Blood and you know he really opened my mind to the idea of becoming a player ambassador for Hockey Gives Blood and kind of growing a platform and um, kind of taking that charity uh, from really the start and to where we've gotten today it's been pretty incredible with almost I think we've almost had player ambassadors on uh, I think almost every CHL team so it's it's been really uh, impressive and really exciting for how much it's been growing just over the last uh, year and a half, two years. So that's something that we're really excited about keeping up. And then um, going to the Kitchener, it was, it was pretty incredible with all the fan support that we got and, and the support from the, the Rangers organization with uh, we did the Jake Staves campaign uh, where I pledged $5 for every single save I made this season and the Rangers matched it, which was pretty incredible. And we ended up coming up with just over $15,000 uh, from saves alone to donate. And then, um, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Then we did the 68-day blood drive. Uh, I wear number 68, uh, uh, the 
resemblance behind that is a six for G and an eight for B for give blood. Mm -hmm. So uh, I changed my number this year for that. And, you know, it's just something I'm really passionate about. And you know, I can't really thank everyone enough. Uh, that's really helped me uh, grow it to where it's been and, and just the continuing to raise awareness for blood donation. You know, speaking of that trade to Kitchener, by the way, it was a great story. Uh, 68, I, I did not realize that. So uh, I love the backstories on numbers. That was that was fantastic. Mm. Um, the trade to Kitchener was an interesting one in the sense that you found out about it while you were at development camp here last summer. Um, had some ups and downs during your, your time period there as well. I know you speak very highly of the time with Kitchener, but uh, unfortunately you were injured at one point and the coach was let go. You had to miss out on the Super Series. Uh, when you When you look back over your time in Kitchener, you know, what besides the blood drive and some of the stuff that you just spoke about, um, what were some of the challenges that you think that you had to overcome this past year? Uh, yeah, I think there was a lot riding on that season. Uh, you know, when I got traded, I was really excited for the opportunity to uh, go to Kitchener. And, you know, when I was talking to my agent, we were looking through the roster and we knew that we were going to be a really good team. And I think we had a lot of uh, almost hype around us going into the season. And then uh, we started off pretty good. I think we were five and one at one point. And then uh, we kind of just got bit by the injury bug. And, you know, Greg Morales went down for a month and Liam Howell went down for a month and Sobrango, who just got drafted. So those guys were out for a long time and then uh, kind of sucked. I, I injured my back and, and I missed a month, basically. And then uh, we couldn't win a game uh, to kind of save our lives for a bit there. And, you know, we weren't playing the right way. We weren't really doing uh, a whole lot the the right way and you know it was, it was pretty upsetting because uh, I thought Jamie Key was a really good coach for us and you know I felt like we really let him down uh, with our play so you know I felt like I took that pretty personal and felt uh, really bad for Keezer he had to kind of wear that for the team and you know uh, when I was uh, healthy enough to come back I was really motivated to uh, kind of turn this ship around because we were in dead last at uh, I think in November at the end of November and it was pretty embarrassing especially for what we were kind of doubted to do uh, and then we kind of really just got it rolling after uh, I came back and Morales came back and Howell came back and we went on a 10 game uh, winning streak. And, you know, we kind of marched our way back to first place in the Western conference. And so that was, uh, that was pretty incredible. I thought, and then basically uh, I think that was like kind of one of the toughest parts is when you're just watching uh, from the stands and, you know, you can't really help anyone. And, you know, you got a lot going on with your personal health and, and you're wondering when you're going to be back and if you're going to be back the same as you ever felt before. And, you know, there's a lot that goes on in your mind and your mind starts to wander a lot too. And if you might get traded at the deadline, because there was a lot of talk of that, if we were going to blow our team up and sell everybody. And so it, it was pretty crazy there for a bit, but, you know, I was happy we stuck with it and we came out so motivated and, and made a really good run. Yeah, for sure. It was a very interesting season. And uh, I didn't even touch on the trade deadline as you did there. And there were rumors about guys that were coming versus guys that might be going out. It was uh, it was a crazy time there in Kitchener. Uh, a couple of other quick ones here. Thanks for your time. We'll, we'll wrap up with a couple of these here. Just uh, in Los Angeles, been a lot of hype around the draft lately, obviously, with Quinton Byfield taken at the top of the draft there for Los Angeles. Now, you were not selected in the first or second round. You were selected, I think, in the sixth round. But you still went to the draft. Just uh going to the draft and, and, and sitting around and waiting to hear your name called that day? Uh, yeah, yeah. I went to the draft and that was something that I really wanted to do. And, you know, my agents, they kind of, they told me, you know, normally if you're not a first or second rounder or a third rounder, they probably don't uh, recommend you going. You know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. And, and also I have development camp uh, basically in two days. So, but uh, I, I really wanted to be there and, and experience that. And, 
you know, I obviously knew I wasn't going to uh, be a first, second, third, fourth rounder. And, you know, it was, it was kind of based on uh, the season I had. And, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't a great uh, draft season and probably wasn't the best time to uh, have, a, have a lapse like that during the season. But, you know, I think it, it taught me so much. And, you know, it's probably one of the biggest blessings I've ever had, uh, having to struggle like that and, and learning from that because I feel like uh, so much stronger mentally and, you know, uh, when you kind of feel like you hit rock bottom playing, you know, there's not really much, uh, much left to hit. And it's just up from there. And, you know, I think it's been up from there with my career and uh, just working through a lot of things. But for me to uh, battle through uh, a lot of things during the season and uh, a lot of uncontrollables, I think, as well, it was just uh, really, really nice to be able to hear my name called and, and live out a dream that I've always wanted to. And so that was something that I felt was really important for me to give myself the opportunity to be there and uh, experience the draft. Yeah, I think it's a great approach. I think, why not? I mean, who cares what round you're going in? Uh, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You're never going to get to do it again. So to be there in person, I'm a live person. I, I like to be there. Yeah, so I think it's great. Go to the sure. draft. Hear your name called. I think it's I think it's fantastic. I experienced the whole thing. Um, but, you know, we also talk on this program about the fact that it really doesn't matter where you're drafted. The work begins the next day. And I think that you're a, a, a perfect example of that. In the LA Kings prospect rankings for the goalie position, I have you and, and uh, Lucas Perique, uh ranked sort of 1A, 1B, if you will. And uh, you're going you're gonna to have a one-year head start on him at least. Now, there was thought that you were going to be in the American League this year. However, with them signing a veteran, we'll have to see how all of that plays out. But I am curious, though, um, without – you know, maybe if you can avoid the cliche of I'm just going to focus on what's in my control and that sort of thing. What's your approach to this season about whether you're going to be in the A, whether you're going to play in the ECHL uh, and just your overall approach to, you know, beginning your pro career? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for the nice comments. And, you know, there's there's two ways you can kind of look at the season. There's uh, there's the way, that, you know, um, you might think that you might start in a certain place and, and where you want to be and uh, you obviously want to be in the AHL. You want to have a really good camp and you don't want to give them a reason to send you home from the NHL. But then there's also another way to uh, think about it. And it, it's just playing good wherever you are. You know, uh, obviously there's a lot of uncontrollables and, and where they want you. And obviously they're trying to develop uh, uh, two different goalies as well during their um, uh, in using the AHL and that. So, you know, there's only one net. So when you get the net, I think it, it comes down to just playing as well as you can and, you know, not having uh, – not having that mindset of, of being uh, upset or frustrated if you're, say, in the East Coast or if you're not in the AHL or, or whatnot. I think uh, for me, it's just going to be about uh, when I have the net, uh, not losing it and just trying to play as well as I can night in and night out. And I think that's, uh, that's the mindset I'm rolling with. And, you know, whether, um, whether I start in the American League in the East Coast or, you know, over here or whatnot, everything's uh, really a big variable right now. So I think it's just wherever I'm playing is being a hundred percent dialed in on that and, and not really worrying about uh, some things I can't control or, or worried about uh, other people as well. Well, there you have it straight from Jacob Bingham. There's uh, there's only one NHL draft. So you go when you're going to be selected. There's only one show to worry about. That's Kings of the podcast. So thank you for joining us all the way from Germany. We appreciate it. We'll be looking forward to watching you. Hopefully you'll get some playing time in the tournament that comes up here uh, uh, the first couple weeks in November. And uh, we'll see you back on the ice. And then eventually, I guess we'll see you in Los Angeles at some point. Nobody knows when, but at some point we'll see you back yeah. in L.A. for camp. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me on. So another great interview there on Kings of the Podcast TV. We had uh, first Aiden Dudas and then now there Jacob Ingham. Uh, I thought that was a great show with having on uh, two players this time instead of one.
Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's fun. And the kids, they seem like they're well-adjusted. They're handling life in Germany very, very well. And hopefully, look, they got to get on the ice somehow to play. So I think it was great for the organization to have the ability to send them over to Europe um, so they can get some time on the ice. Well, as we wrap up here today, DB, I will say this. Uh, some of our listeners, they've enjoyed the spoiler alerts that we've been dropping. And uh, we might be talking a little bit more about the experience of playing over in Germany as well as a look ahead to the World Juniors perhaps in our, uh, our next episode or one coming up later this week. So we'll leave you with that little tease. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon. at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.